Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In today's episode, we're going to continue in the book of Matthew to the next occurrence where Jesus described the kingdom of God. And we're going to compare, as we do in this podcast, how Bitcoin as a monetary system fulfills the description of the kingdom of God and what that means in a practical sense to Christians today is that Bitcoin is the way that Christians should deal with money in order to practice the principles of the kingdom of God here and now on this earth. And for Bitcoiners who are not yet Christians, the lesson is that Bitcoin points to Jesus Christ and the things that Jesus said were prophetic of Bitcoin and nobody else in the world has predicted the nature and the appearance of Bitcoin like Jesus himself. And that speaks to the divinity of his origin. So that's what this podcast is about. And I like to review some of the more significant things that happened in the Bitcoin world during the week in each episode. And this week, one thing that stood out to me was a video that was produced about how Bitcoin is being used in Cuba, where they have had over a 10 times inflation in two years. And so the video that came out really shows how Bitcoin is coming to the rescue of countries where the money has failed, like Cuba. And it's really great to see. And it serves as an example for all countries, because sooner or later, every fiat currency will face the same fate, unless the leaders of the nations will guard it especially well. And that's going to be something that is very difficult to do in this sort of political and world scenario that countries exist in and that governments are in a position to work with. So either the world will have to change, either governments will have to change their tactics, or else they will face a fate similar to Cuba, where the people will simply move to the alternative of Bitcoin. And that's one more example of how Bitcoin is changing the world, not only in its effect on individuals, but even at larger scales as the number of individuals who embrace Bitcoin increases. So I encourage you to search for that and watch that video. Let me just give you the title here. It's called The Truth Behind Cuba's Bitcoin Revolution, What It Really Looks Like. And it's really a great video 
and it's only it's less than half an hour and it will be a blessing to all those who watch it and like i said it really shows how bitcoin is changing the world starting with those who need it most and what's happening there in cuba and how the people are finding solutions within their own reach through bitcoin that's really beautiful and it's a beautiful example for countries and for people everywhere Okay, so I just wanted to mention that, and now let's get into the topic for today, which is going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Now, this chapter, we're going to focus mainly on the financial aspects, where Jesus speaks about the kingdom, but the chapter begins in verse 1 with, Judge not that ye be not judged, and it speaks about judgment, about hypocrisy, about equity. In other words, um, it's all about this principle of treating others in the same way you would like to be treated. The golden rule, as it is called. For example, in verse 7, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. In other words, it's about action and reaction. It's about initiation and response. It's about this reciprocity. And then in verse 12 comes the summary of the golden rule itself. Therefore, Jesus said, so after all this preaching about how to treat others the way that you would like to be treated, here in verse 12, he brings it together. He says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. So however you would like people to treat you, you treat them the same way. For this is the law and the prophets. And that's an expression that refers to the Bible, that that is what the Bible is all about. Treating others as you would like them to treat you. Now, I start with this introduction even before we come to the real point about the kingdom of God, because this golden rule has a lot to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus is giving instruction here on behavior, instruction on how we should treat one another. And it's called the golden rule, obviously, because it's valuable. This is precious. This is important. This is foundational to Christian life, to living a good life. And that's why people have named this the golden rule. And I want to show you the gold in the rule right now by talking about how money, gold, can reflect this rule or not reflect this rule. And it reminds me especially of something that is often heard in Bitcoin circles, which is the phrase rules without rulers, that Bitcoin is a system of rules without rulers. And the essence of what is being conveyed by that expression is the contrast with how worldly monetary systems are, where there are certain small powers, small in terms of number, small powers of government that 
are in charge of monetary policy and are able to make decisions that affect the money supply and then in turn the entire population of those people around the world who use that particular currency. So as the biggest example of that, there are just a few people, relatively speaking, who have the power in the United States. We're talking about the people in high finance, uh, very wealthy individuals in the commercial world, and those few at the tops of the central banks and the Federal Reserve and the government power structures that are able to actually make decisions and bring their influence to bear upon monetary policy. And, for example, the Fed is able to make decisions to change interest rates that, that indirectly affect the monetary supply. And without going into details in how the monetary supply is managed, it's enough just to understand that when Congress, for example, votes to take out loans and spend more money from the government, in particular money that otherwise doesn't really exist because it's taken as a loan, it's borrowed from the future productivity of the nation. This, these kinds of actions that are decided by relatively few people in comparison to the entire population of those who use the dollar, not only in the United States of America, but around the world, all those people who have an interest in the dollar by the fact that they have some dollars or some bank accounts with dollars in them, all those people around the world who rely on the dollar in some form are affected by the monetary policy decisions that are made by a very few, a very select few, a small number of individuals who, many of whom are not even elected by the people. And so, by contrast, the people, the masses, the majority of those who are using the dollar on a regular basis, these people, the common people, do not have the same kind of influence over the monetary policy. They can't decide to print money. It's obviously illegal to fabricate money, to make counterfeit dollars or something like that. It's completely unethical and illegal. But yet, those who are in power, those few who are in power over the financial system, they have the power to do that. And that's exactly what they do by taking a loan against the people. They are actually making counterfeit money in electronic form. And for them, it's considered legal. It's considered okay and not unethical. But in fact, it is. And what Jesus says here with the golden rule sort of puts it into clarity in such few words, it's just beautiful, that whatever you would like people to do to you, do that to them. That's what the Bible is all about. Now ask yourself, as an individual, do you want other people to counterfeit money so that they can buy your goods and services for free? Is that how you want to be treated? And any decent person would say, no, I would not want to be treated that way. And so the golden rule says, then likewise, don't counterfeit money 
in order to obtain the products of others for free, and of the common people who would even have such an idea. And yet, that is what the people in power actually do. They, if they want to accomplish something in the world, they simply print the money to do so, flood the economy with that money through the channels that will accomplish their purposes, and at no cost, they purchase the products and services of the world by supporting those parts of the economy that do what they want. And so you can see that the golden rule is not being followed by the incumbent powers in the existing financial system. Now, in contrast to that comes Bitcoin, which is a system that enforces the golden rule. How does Bitcoin enforce the golden rule? It does so by being an open system that's available to all and that does not convey or confer power to any individual or group any more than any other. In other words, all are equal on the Bitcoin network. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or if you're poor. In any case, the transaction fees are the same. The opportunity to transact is the same. And in the context we've been discussing, most importantly, the supply of Bitcoin is equally limited to all participants. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And that's true for all participants in the network. There is no select group of rulers, so to speak, who can decide the monetary policy independently of everyone else. And that's what this phrase means, rules without rulers. Bitcoin is a system that has rules. It has a defined way of operating. And one of those rules, for example, is that you cannot counterfeit Bitcoin. This is what is called the double spend problem. When you counterfeit money, when you make a copy of a dollar bill, and then you spend both the original dollar bill and the copy, that is double spending. You've spent the same dollar twice, and that's what counterfeiting is. And Bitcoin solves the double spend problem. It makes it impossible to spend the same Bitcoin twice. This is one of the key innovations of Bitcoin, and that's one of the rules of the system that is enforced by the system that cannot be broken and that has no rulers who can override the rule. Therefore, Bitcoin is a system of rules without rulers. And what that means is that it perfectly obeys the golden rule that as the individual would like to be treated, so all must treat each other in the system of Bitcoin. As one would not like to have others counterfeit money to buy their own services and products for free, so all are made to follow that same rule. Do you see how Bitcoin follows the teachings of Jesus Christ? And when you use Bitcoin, as the Cubans are doing, for example, even without a knowledge of God, 
they are finding it advantageous because everybody recognizes that the golden rule is a good thing, whether they believe in Jesus or not. And so that's kind of an introduction to bring us towards the topic of the kingdom. And so now, continuing with verse 13, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, in the most obvious sense, this describes how Christianity began, that relatively few in the context of the whole world, recognized Christ as the Savior when he came 2,000 years ago. Twelve, in particular, specifically believed and followed him with full devotion. And hundreds, thousands of people of all classes at that time also recognized him as the Savior, kind of from a distance. And Many, many more heard about him and were influenced in some way by the things that he did and said. But in comparison to the total population of the world, that was a very small number of people. And yet, as this verse implies, it is the few that find the way. It is the few who recognize the way that leads to life and not destruction. Though there are few that really find that, that is the way. And Jesus says, go that way. Enter in that straight or narrow gate. Even though there are only a few people going that way, that is the way. Go that way. The way where most of the people are going. The wide way. The broad way. Where the gate is wide. That leads to destruction. Now, in the financial context... There are many who are transacting in U.S. dollars, for example, or in other currencies all around the world, the fiat currencies in general. There are many going that way, naturally, because that was the default before Bitcoin came on the scene. Just as the world was going its same way when Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years ago. The broad way is broad by default, but... The way that leads to life has to be found. It has to be discovered. It's something new that comes on the scene. And few there be that find it, that discover it. Okay? Now, at some point, people will start using Bitcoin not because they discover it, not because they find it, not because of how special it is and that they recognize its principles for what they are, but simply because that becomes the broad way. Because as Bitcoin adoption grows, people will start to use it just because other people are using it. Then it becomes the broad way. And you can see this in the history of Christianity as well. Today, Christianity is one of the world's largest religions, if not the largest. It has become the broad way. Now, in recent years, there has been a concerted effort to denigrate Christianity and promote other religions, Eastern religions, and all kinds of religions, and even non-religions. And true Christianity is perhaps harder to find than it might seem. But 
the principle here is still the same, that what starts out narrow, what starts out small, what starts out having to be searched for and found by those who are seeking the way of life, eventually grows until it becomes the norm. But these verses describe that initial phase of discovery where the way that leads to life is small, the entrance is narrow, and few people find it. But yet Jesus says, that's the way, go that way, enter in that gate. Now in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now this is interesting because it emphasizes verse after verse the nature of the tree, the nature of the tree, that the tree has characteristics and you can't change those characteristics. What is sort of built into the tree in its genetics, in its DNA, determines the kind of fruit that it's going to give. And therefore, by looking at the fruit, you cannot actually look at the DNA of the tree. Maybe with modern technology today in laboratories, some people can actually see the DNA. But from the common person's point of view, you cannot see the DNA inside the tree. But you can see the fruit and you can evaluate the characteristics of the fruit. Its color, its taste, its size, its shape, all these things. And so by looking at the fruits, you can understand what kind of tree it is, what DNA the tree has. Now, why is this so fascinating in the context of Bitcoin? Is because Bitcoin and virtually every cryptocurrency as well involves trees, hash trees. And these hash trees are very similar in concept to genetics, the very things that Jesus was talking about here, which he was drawing from the illustrations of nature. Those same concepts are key to the functioning of Bitcoin, which brings forth good fruit, as we see in Cuba, as we saw in last week's episode with the humane decision of the mining pool in response to the erroneous fees. Bitcoin brings forth good fruit in terms of its effect in the world. By contrast, crypto, all those other coins that exist, ultimately do not bring forth good fruit. Those who invest in them often lose their money, and those who create them often gain money from the unsuspecting in exchange for products that ultimately do not survive or do not provide meaningful value to the world, do not produce good fruit. And in that class are the existing fiat currencies for which the entire world is full of 
testaments to the bad fruit that they have produced because of things that we've already talked about. So, but back to this point about the tree, Bitcoin has something called a hash tree in its internal data structures. And the way this works is that beginning with the Genesis block, there is a hash, which is a long code. You could think of it as DNA. DNA is also a long code that encodes meaningful information, but on the surface, it just appears to be a code, something undeciphered. This hash of the Genesis block is then incorporated into the hash of the next block that comes after the Genesis block. And in a certain way, that reflects how DNA in many kinds of living beings actually recombines in the next generation, forming a new code, new genetics, but which is still tied to the identity of the original. And so by that method, every block that is added to the Bitcoin blockchain can be linked all the way back to the Genesis block and therefore to identify a blockchain. It is common practice simply to refer to the hash of the original Genesis block of that particular chain. This is in a certain way reflected in life and in the fact that we can all, theoretically anyway, trace our genetics back to the original man, Adam, and ultimately to God who created him, who gave him that very first DNA, which has been sort of hashed and rehashed through the generations until we have come to where we are today. And so through this concept of trees and their nature and their fruit, Jesus is describing the character of people. That's what he started out here talking about. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. He's ultimately talking about people and their character. But at the same time, the illustrations that he's drawing from nature apply to money in its modern form. This was not the case in the past, whether gold was the dominant money or whether we speak of fiat currencies in more recent years as the primary form of money. It's only been since the invention of Bitcoin, since blockchain technology, that we've had this notion of the hash tree in money. And now that we have that, these verses, these words of Jesus can be readily applied to discern between good money and bad money. So there's a lot more we could say about that and about the way that blockchains and genetics are related. But I think just in the context of these verses, it's just important to understand how life with its continuous genetic line is comparable to the blockchain with its continuous unbroken sequence of hashes from the Genesis block all the way to all future blocks. That unbroken chain is key to the security of the monetary system. It's important to preserve. If 
this is this is where the 51% attack and, and all these kinds of things come into the picture. If that blockchain can be broken, if a disconnect can be made in that sequence of hashes, then money could be stolen. Transactions could be invalidated. It would break the entire system of Bitcoin. And that's why some people are afraid that, oh, you know, the hashing algorithm will be broken or, you know, these sorts of things. And recently I actually had a conversation, a very interesting conversation uh, with some people about Bitcoin and its advantages as money. And one of the criticisms that came in that con- in the course of that conversation was that hashing algorithms, in theory, can be broken. And if that were to be the case, then money in form of Bitcoin could be compromised. And I answered in that conversation with many reasons as to why that's not as easy as it sounds. But I would even just turn the entire question on its head and say, have we ever in the history of the world had a monetary system so strong that it actually has this chain of truth, so to speak, going back to the Genesis block? And the answer is no, we've never had a monetary system that secure and that strong ever in the history of humanity. Bitcoin is a leap forward in terms of technological advancement, and that's a really great thing. But more important even than that, and the security of Bitcoin as a monetary system through this hash tree is what that implies and what that sort of brings to the attention in real life that we as human beings also have this genetic code that has up until recent times been unbroken from the time of Genesis, from the creation of Adam. It's only in recent years, like 2020 and thereabout, that vaccines and other techniques have been used on the general population in ways that introduce and alter DNA in the body and which can never be undone. It is recognized through scientific observation that up to 10% of the human genome is comprised of fragments of virus DNA, kind of like a history of all of the viral sicknesses of humanity that has been embedded in the experience, in the character of the human race. And so it is scientifically proven that genetic material that enters the body does become part of the human genome. And only in recent years, since 2020, has mankind been using his own technology and his own mind to create DNA and introduce it into the body and therefore change the nature of human life into something entirely different. And depending on your views, if you fear God, this is a shocking and terrible development because it's a destruction of the creation that God made in the beginning. It's a disconnect from the Genesis block, so to speak, of the human race. 
And learning from Bitcoin, this actually means that it's an attack on the integrity of the system as a whole. And just as Bitcoin that would be forged in a 51% attack should be considered valueless and unethical and robbery and a destruction of the monetary value of the money that Bitcoin truly represents. In the same way, modification of the human genome through vaccines and other means represents that same kind of a disconnect, but not just in money, but in actual life. It represents a destruction of what God has made, a degradation of the value of life, a degradation of the quality of the security and integrity and longevity, survivability of life. This has deep, deep implications when you understand it simply by comparing what Bitcoin shows in the context of the words of Jesus with actual life. Yeah, these are perhaps not pleasant things to talk about, but things that are of utmost importance to every person on this planet. And that's the level at which Bitcoin approaches us at this point in history. It approaches us as one of the most important technological developments of our day. And as it highlights, by contrast, other technological developments that are destroying life on this planet, in that way we can see how Bitcoin, as this podcast is focused on revealing, how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus Christ. So that was a fascinating deep dive into the nature of trees, ash trees, or genetic trees of any other kind, which concludes with verse 20, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, every crypto, every other coin on the planet besides Bitcoin is a disconnect from the Genesis block. It all started with forks of Bitcoin itself, alternative versions of Bitcoin, each one a disconnect from the original line. This is why I cannot endorse any other coin, any other form of money than Bitcoin, which was the first and only original. The Genesis block of all Genesis blocks is in the Bitcoin blockchain. And any other chain that doesn't trace its origins back to that Genesis block is a counterfeit, and it is not the good fruit of the original tree. Now Jesus says in verse 21, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, it's not about who you purport to be. It's not about how you identify. It's about your actual nature. It's about your genetics. It's about that essence that makes you who you are and that determines how you behave and whether you do the will of the Father which is in heaven or not. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? 
and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. That's like saying, you're not in my chain. The money that you're using, I can't trace back to the original Genesis block. The DNA in your body, I cannot trace back to the man that I made in the book of Genesis. I can't trace your works back to the Genesis block when I made Adam. This is deep stuff, folks. Therefore, verse 24, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Again, we have this concept of the rock, that sure foundation, that Genesis code, if you will, upon which the entire chain of history that follows is built upon. Is Jesus Christ your rock? Are his words that point back to the creation the basis for your decisions? I hope so. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, of Jesus, and doeth them not, in other words, those who go with other forms of money, those who disregard the line of genetics in their own body that would have kept them on the sure foundation, everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. Wow. I didn't actually know where this chapter was going to go. I didn't read all these verses in advance, but this was very fascinating and a very deep and insightful study into the Word of God, which brought to light two important technologies that have come into the world in recent years, Bitcoin on the one hand, and the power to affect the human genome on the other. And the words of Jesus provide incredible insight into both systems, how they operate, and how important it is to respect the unbroken chain that comes to us from Genesis, whether it be the Genesis block of Bitcoin as a financial system, or whether it be the Genesis account of the creation of mankind. Wow, wow, this was a very deep study into the word of Jesus Christ. If you aren't a Christian, I encourage you to become one. Jesus knew what he was talking about, and he spoke with the wisdom of no other. Remember the key verse in this whole chapter, the verse that brought me to speak about this chapter today, which is verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We, as human beings, are not in heaven. We are here on earth, at least at this present time, yet we look forward to a heavenly kingdom. But Jesus warns that only those who do the will of the Father will be permitted in the heavenly kingdom. That is because God is a God of law and order, and his law is good and his order is good. But if you don't keep the law of the kingdom, how can you expect to be admitted into it? 
And what Jesus says with this verse is that it's not about profession. It's not about who you purport to be. It's not about how you identify. It's about what you do. It's about your actual character. It's about your actual behavior. It's about your fruits, which spring forth from the nature of your being, from your genetics. And what we need today is healing. What we need is a return to confidence in the Genesis block, a return to confidence in the unbroken chain that God created, just like just like how it is with the trees. A tree that produces good fruit will also, in the next generation, produce the same kind of tree with the same genetic pattern as it has always had since the beginning of creation. The problem is that because of sin, our genes have become degraded. Because of the viruses, our DNA is 10% corrupt. And yet we still, for the most part, exist as normal human beings. That shows how resilient God's creation really is. But it also shows how much we are in need of God's creative power to restore us where we've been affected and degraded by sin. And Jesus Christ is the only way. He was the creator from the beginning. And he came to offer himself, his own nature, his own DNA to us as a pattern so that his DNA can be replicated in us. That's what Christianity is all about. It's to change us people who are naturally selfish into people who will do the will of the Father which is in heaven. And by undergoing that change here on earth, we can be fitted, prepared, made suitable to live in the kingdom of heaven. So until then, until we reach that heavenly kingdom, keep looking to heaven, keep expecting the coming of Jesus, and keep your eyes on him. Keep looking, keep copying, keep replicating his pattern in your own life. And one way to do that is by using Bitcoin and studying it and allowing it to transform your thinking and your behavior here on earth as you prepare for the kingdom of heaven. So I just want to interject here because I have a little bit of extra time and there are some important points that I didn't get to include yet. And if you think a linear sequence of blocks doesn't quite fit the description of a tree, that's okay. That's just a simplified view of the situation. But actually inside each block are individual transactions and those transactions also have hashes and they are structured in the form of an actual tree. It's what the programmers refer to as the Merkle tree. And the root of this Merkle tree is referred to as the Merkle root. And by that Merkle root, one can identify the entire tree. And so this is very, very applicable, even as you dig into the deeper layers within the Bitcoin blockchain. In fact, this Merkle tree of all the transactions in the Bitcoin network is actually formed 
Each branch of the tree is formed when transactions are made, when coins are spent. Now, interestingly, this is highly significant. When a person puts their labor, puts their intellect to work, and produces something of value, whether that's a physical good or whether that is a service or a concept or contribution to society in any form. When a person produces and is rewarded in the form of Bitcoin, that transaction on the blockchain is literally encoding that bodily effort, that life force that was invested in the production of the item in question. And we spoke about this a little bit in the previous episode, where Jesus said, is not the life more important than the food that sustains it? Is not the body more important than the clothing that covers it? And that's not an argument in favor of not eating or not being closed, obviously. But it's showing that the life itself, the effort, the bodily strength itself is of the utmost importance to preserve with all integrity. And that is what Bitcoin as a form of money allows and does, where other forms of money, if you take any other form of reward in compensation for your life efforts, that inferior form of reward, be it fiat money that devalues over time, be it goods that spoil or wear out or lose their luster over time, everything else is inferior to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the only form of money that encodes without loss the life force of those who receive it as reward for their labors. Someone in my circle said this week that when people begin to demand payment in the form of Bitcoin, that's what will drive Bitcoin adoption, particularly people who are in a position people who have goods and services that are in high demand, when they require Bitcoin as a form of payment, then that will drive adoption because everybody else will need some Bitcoin in order to pay for those essential or highly desired services. So all this comes back into the topic today of the tree, and it shows that Bitcoin is actually a tree of life. It's a Merkle tree that shows the transactions in which people have exchanged Bitcoin for work, for value, for physical or mental expenditure of their life force. And until we reach heaven, where the real tree of life from the Garden of Eden exists and where we can partake of that literal fruit, here on earth, we have a system that's been, by the grace of God, patterned after that heavenly pattern and whose fruit is accessible to us here and now and in which we can be grafted by putting our own life efforts into that tree. These are really deep spiritual concepts. At the time when God created Adam, 
as in the Genesis account, there was only one tree in the garden that had the essence of eternal life, that had the capacity to sustain life indefinitely, and that was the tree of life. No other tree had that property. And there was one tree in particular that was positively capable of inflicting death, and that was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Today, we have something coming into the world, another type of tree, another type of blockchain, one with a different hash, and one with different properties, different characteristics. I'm talking about the central bank digital currencies, which go by many different names, partly for the sake of disguise. And while they seem to have attractive fruit, they seem to make life easier. They seem to enable electronic payments. They might seem to facilitate borderless payments in some cases. CBDCs offer a lot of apparent benefits, just like the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil seemed to be one to grant wisdom. But in the end, eating that fruit led to death because it implied disobedience to God. It is God who gave life to the human race. It is God who sustains the human race. And if God specifies which trees the human race should eat from, should we not follow his counsel? Should we seek to do our own thing in the financial context if God has provided a system, namely Bitcoin, patterned according to the principles of his kingdom, should we refuse to eat of that tree and choose instead to eat of a tree that brings death and destruction, which has been proven by corrupt societies since the beginning of time? Bitcoin is not just a secular topic. Bitcoin is not just another form of money. It is something that God has given to the world that is unlike anything we've ever had before since the Garden of Eden. It's a spiritual thing. It's spiritual money to prepare for the kingdom of heaven and to disregard it and to choose instead the central bank digital currencies will only result in bondage just as eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil resulted in slavery to sin for the human race for 6,000 years. That tree was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil because it was purported to give mankind knowledge, knowledge that was supposed to be equal to the knowledge and wisdom of God who alone knew the difference between good and evil up to that point. But now mankind also has tasted of that tree and knows good and evil. But has that knowledge given man the wisdom of God? Absolutely not. And the central bank digital currencies are being developed by some of the most corrupt and self-seeking people in the entire world. And there's no way that their wisdom is sufficient to develop a system better than what God has provided. 
through Bitcoin, through the original financial tree of life. Once more, I'm reminded of the blasphemy of the communists that was so eloquently and plainly exposed by the presidential candidate in Argentina. And again, in this episode, I want to recommend Tucker Carlson's interview with Javier Millet, the presidential candidate of Argentina. Search for that on Twitter and watch the entire interview. There are some highly accurate and important concepts there that people need to understand. Debunking how the world works today. Okay, so I just thought these points were important to add and I had time to add them. So so I think I'm going to end it right there. Last week we had a bit of a shorter episode and I suspect this week's will turn out to be a little bit shorter as well. But that's okay. We've also had some very long episodes in recent weeks and I suppose there's no harm in balancing that out a little bit. All right, so I just want to remind you to follow me on Noster. Just search for Bitcoin Sermons, two words, and there you'll get notifications of new episodes as well as pictures and other words of inspiration and not to overlook as well if you prefer to get the podcasts direct from the original source please subscribe to my substack, which is Bitcoin Sermons with no space at substack.com. That's the email address or Bitcoin Sermons, no space, dot substack.com where you can subscribe. And we're on Fountain as well as every other podcasting app out there. So find us where it pleases you. I encourage you to share this podcast with others whom you think it will bless May God be with you in the coming week and keep praising him for the amazing things that he's doing at this time.